Well, listeners, okay. we are with you now for the next hour and a half up until 11 o'clock. And I will be speaking to Joel James. Joel is the pastor of Grace Fellowship, which is a church in Pretoria. He is the author of numerous books, many of which I've had the pleasure of reading. Joel, you do write very, very well. And I'm, I'm looking forward to engaging you on some of the content that you've written about. He is an expository preacher. You can download his sermons online by typing in Joel James. He has hundreds and hundreds of sermons. I can personally recommend Ecclesiastes. I listened to your series through Ecclesiastes, um, very poignant, very, very relevant uh, to much of what we're living through right now as a nation and as in the world. Um, uh, uh, and uh, and Joel is a pastor um, of people. And this morning, I'm hoping that we're going to engage on a number of different topics um, from preaching to the gospel to some of the books that you have written and some of the booklets that you've written uh, Joel on a wide range of topics and uh, as we talk I have no doubt that uh, some folk who are looking in will be engaging with us I do want to just acknowledge Jenny who's dropped a comment and Barney who says Radio Pulpit has been part of uh, me and my family for many years good morning blessed family great to have you with us Barney as well if you're Presently listening in on the conversation, we would love to know who we're talking to. One of the ways that you can let us know is by dropping a comment on the Facebook stream. It is going out right now on radio on the radio pulpit uh, Facebook page. That's Radio Pulpit Radio Console. Uh, you can find the Facebook page. You'll see that there's a live video stream going out. You'll see myself and Joel um, speaking on that. If you drop a comment into that stream, I'll get to see it live in studio uh, right now. If you're a twit and you're on Twitter, the handle is at 657am. We'll get to see that in studio as well. Let me tell you how you can phone into the studio and ask questions or send in a voice note via WhatsApp. If you've got a pen and paper ready, uh, take down these numbers. The studio line is 012-334-1322. Vusi is standing by, ready to take your calls. The WhatsApp and Telegram numbers are 0826572729. Looking forward to hearing from you Friday, Emily Joel. Maybe to to open up the conversation, uh, give us an idea. You, uh, w- when you start speaking, people will realize that you're not from the Karoo. You don't have a Karoo accent. Uh, it doesn't sound like you're from Limpopo and Mpumalanga either. Uh, they're going to detect a, a sliver of Americano in your in your in your accent. You think um, so? m- maybe just give something of your story so people have an idea of who they're speaking I'll to. I'll try this hard morning. not to talk funny, but it doesn't <laughs> always go well. So. I'll try hard not to laugh, (laughs) (laughs) if you do. (laughs) Yeah, um, we've been here in South Africa for for 27 and a half years, uh, pastoring the church that you mentioned, Grace Fellowship, here in Pretoria. And the reason for that, really, in part, is because of Radio Pulpit. Um, Years ago, John MacArthur from Grace Church in the United States was on Radio Pulpit and had a very popular preaching program, as you know, Grace to You, on the And uh, because of that, there was a lot of interest uh, in perhaps planting some churches here in South Africa. So in the early 90s, John made a couple of trips here. And uh, out of that, a couple of churches were planted, and one of those is our church, Grace Fellowship. So in 1995, um, my wife and I, Ruthie, came so that I could pastor that church. And we've been here ever since. We love South Africa, love our church, love serving here. And uh, it's been a delight to be here. I I just realized today... 
that I have been in South Africa longer than I've lived in any other country um, because I lived outside the United States and South America for a couple of years. So if I'm at 27 years, um, I've lived longer in South Africa than yeah. anywhere else. And I still talk funny. Can you believe it? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that does happen. I'm, I'm originally from the Eastern Cape, from Port Elizabeth now. And uh, I've lived longer in Gauteng than anywhere else. And there comes a time that you kind of cross that threshold, that Rubicon, and and you realize that uh, this is this is your your world, your life. These are the people that you are friends with, and family with, and uh, church with, and uh, and where you've laid down um, everything. I'm I'm now solidly a Gautenger. In fact, last week uh, or the week before, I, I, I migrated to a Blue Bulls uh, jersey in terms of rugby. And uh, and I went to my first Lofters game uh, this past Saturday, watched the <laughs> watched the box um, get away with a win uh, mm-hmm. against Wales, which was great fun and terribly exciting. Really enjoyed the Pretoria vibe. I'm enjoying being in Pretoria, Joel. Mm. Yeah. So you've been here in Pretoria for 27 years. Yeah, the whole time. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm just thinking of the history that you just laid out. Um, I, I, am I am I right in saying Brian Breitenbach and Grace um, uh, Christian Church in Primrose came out of that same kind of movement around that same time? Absolutely. That was the two churches that started together. One was my <clears throat> my church, and the other was uh, Grace Christian Church in Primrose, pastored by Brian Biedebach. Yeah. Bre- Biedebach. Um, yeah. And now by Viral Tate. And yes. so, so yeah, those were the two initial churches that started. And of course, uh, guys have been going over to the Master Seminary and uh, from South Africa and coming back through the years. And uh, some other Americans uh, um, have, have come over as well. South Africa is an interesting place because it's not true everywhere in the world that an American can come and just walk off the plane and be a pastor. Um, in fact, most countries in the world, that's not true. But for some reason, here in South Africa, you guys accept and love us. And so so, uh, so we just kind of embrace South Africa and become South African. And, uh, um, and so whether it's the... Whether it's the South African guys who've gone over and come back or whatever, you know, we, we've uh, we've really been privileged through the years, uh, through the Master Seminary and Grace Church and so on, um, to to serve this country and serve our churches. And mm. really, it's a delight to do so. Um, my wife and I made the decision, you know, even before we got off the plane, that this is home. Um, we're not worried about comparing. Um, you know, it just wasn't the issue. This is home. And so, uh, so we've taken that um, that perspective from the beginning. Well, our, our stories kind of get a little bit intertwined in that um, I was at Midrand Chapel. That's where I was saved myself and uh, Liesel, my wife. Um, Midrand Chapel called uh, Chris Willey. Uh, Chris Willey is also a, um, a alumna from uh, Masters. Uh, and um, a, a, at some stage, I, I really wanted to pursue ministry. Um, at the time, I actually just wanted to be a better Bible teacher. I was I was teaching a Bible study. And so I contacted Will Tate. Um, at the time, he was running a college um, at uh, at Grace Christian Church and, uh, and was with Will for a couple of years until he went into uh, until he became the senior pastor there at Grace Christian Church and couldn't continue, um, and so I've benefited off those uh, off first um, Grace Christian Church that plant. Mm-hmm. My wife has benefited off uh, Grace Fellowship. She came uh, through. You run a biblical counselling course, mm-hmm. uh, a two-year biblical counselling course with GSM, and maybe you can. Uh, 
talk about that a little bit and just explain what that's all about. Um, but she attended that course and was greatly benefited. Um, and when I say greatly benefited, Joel, uh, she grew, uh, she just grew from from strength to strength over that two year period and 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 really has been able to put so much of that in place as she's come next to me uh, in counseling over the years we've been very very <coughs> grateful uh, for that work maybe you would uh, give us some give us some input in terms of uh, of GSM yeah GSM stands for Grace School of Ministry and it's really just a a ministry of our church in which we've tried to take some of the things that I've benefited from and our church has benefited from through the years. And so we've had courses in expository preaching and a whole series of other classes where we've brought men over from the master's seminary, the lecturers there to teach. And and one of the things that we teach on a regular basis is a biblical counseling course. Um, you know, people need counsel, but it's vital that we do it from the scripture because that's where we find God's counsel. That's where we find God's word. Um, that's where we find God's perspective on all the problems and and challenges and sins of this life in this world and so so that's a class that we've changed it now actually the setup is no longer the two-year setup covid kind of wiped that out of course with uh, two years of not being able to meet so so now we do a one-year um, class on wednesday evenings at uh, uh, at the church and we're kind of just going to be starting a pilot program and live streaming that so it's not going to be available generally yet um, we're going to test it with some 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 churches that will be friendly f- to us if it doesn't work <laughs> um, but we're pretty sure it'll work um, but but uh, we're going to be doing that, and so in the future, that might be something that uh, that uh, other churches would be able to tap into, because uh, you know the whole biblical counseling material is just thinking rightly about God and thinking rightly about life, and and then being very practical about weaving the Word of God into your life. Mm. It's kind of like the Book of Proverbs, you yes. know, in a sense, packaged up, yes. starting with the gospel and a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then how does this affect daily living? Um, because we have this habit of running to everyone else in the world with answers on how to face, you know, daily living problems or big problems like depression and, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, but the truth is the scripture has the answers for life's spiritual and emotional problems. And so so that class is just designed to help either help you personally grow in your walk with Jesus Christ, as you talked about Liesl benefiting from that. And then for those who are gifted in that way to benefit as potential counselors, yes. uh, not everyone is gifted in such a way that they would be a counselor necessarily, um, but they want to grow in Christ. And you know what? The moment you sit down to talk with your kids about their behavior, about not doing their homework assignments or uh, with the, you know, the lady across the street about the challenges that she faces or a coworker about um, you know, some problem they have, you suddenly are going to be a counselor mm-hmm. and you want to mm-hmm. do that from the scripture. And so Grace School of Ministry is is designed to help us do that better. Now, look, I don't know if you've changed the the content of the of the class, if you've had to change um, uh, the way that you're doing it. But one of the things that I appreciated as being a, a, a pastor, um, obviously, Liesl serves as a pastor's wife, um, and she does a great job of that. She's very much a, a background kind of person. She she enjoys being in the background, getting involved in, in stuff that people don't see. Um, but, but increasingly, uh, as I've been in the pastorate, I've needed to counsel hard cases, increasingly hard cases, mm-hmm. and uh, and also often needed to counsel women, needed to counsel men and women. Um, after Liesl um, completed uh, the biblical counseling course, she had 
been thoroughly versed. She had gone through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. I think mm-hmm. you guys use Grudem's systematic. I can't we do, remember. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, she, she, she had a she had a, a basis of uh, systematics. Um, she had an understanding both in terms of um, of the kinds of worldly counsel that people would receive often before they came and spoke to a pastor, um, but then also. Um, she had a very good understanding of how to approach um, people with God's word, how to identify the problem that they were facing, how to identify what God's word said about it, um, how to um, restructure their life toward what God's answer actually was, and then how to equip them to go and do exactly that um, with the expectation that those who are in Christ would do exactly that, uh, put off sin and and put on what God's counsel said. And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed having a wife who was equipped to stand next to me in counseling uh, in counseling classes uh, in counseling situations should I rather say and so uh, yeah really benefited from GSM mm. thanks so much well for you that. just created, gave a great advertisement for the class because that's exactly what we cover <laughs> so, so you either read the website before you came here or have a great memory well done no Mark. I have a great wife so, so she, she'll often like post counseling say well well, Mark this is what this is what we do in counseling we, we point out like what is your problem what does God's word say about mm-hmm. your problem um, and yeah. I think she's probably intoning uh, uh, yeah. the words of Joel James yeah the third the third thing is the third question in that series is what does God say to do about yeah, your and what problem? does God say yeah. to do about your problem um, yeah. yeah so you know now that you live in Pretoria you could you know join us for that class Mark I, if you I, wanted to so counseling is something I, I definitely do want to sharpen my pencil on and so I, I might join you for that uh, Joel mm-hmm. thanks for the thanks for the the prod a couple of people have been talking as as you and I've been speaking uh, we've got uh, greetings from well actually we've got quite a few greetings yeah we've got uh, Sophia and uh, Marilu and Elizabeth who just say shout outs Jean says hi Mark uh, and, uh, and Jill Gill it's actually Joel <laughs> it's neither Jill nor Gill <laughs> our son Andrew uh, is in the US for four years now and he's married to an American and he's already starting to f- talk funny with lots of laughing emojis afterwards um, and I love it and uh, Jean and Neil are long time listeners uh, they call in from Faith Baptist Church in Vitbank lovely to have you guys with us Gene uh, 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 Linda says hello uh, from misty and beautiful Montague now I've heard of Montague many times but Linda I have no clue where beautiful and misty Montague is maybe take a take a um, a, a quick uh, a screenshot or not a screenshot a, a photo of uh, of what you're looking at and, uh, and and post that so I can get an idea of uh, what that looks like and then Dion the newly called pastor at uh, Clarkstorp Baptist Church says greetings from Clarkstorp listening online great to have you with us as well um, Dion Joel can I, uh, this is where I'd like us to go first. So my first interaction with you was at a church camp. Um, it was a Midrand Chapel church camp. Uh, it was many, many years ago. I, I, in fact, I, I don't know. Might have been twenty years ago. Might have been less. Might have been. Uh, certainly, Chris would have been there. So maybe a little bit less. Maybe seventeen years ago. I remember. Um, I remember pretty much every single um, uh, lesson that you took at that camp. It stuck with me. It completely uh, revolutionised my. Thought both of uh, the book of Acts but in particular the gospel you laid the gospel out so simply um, in a way that was understandable for me at the time a very very new Christian um, and I really enjoyed it you, it, it, you took us through 
um, the sermons in the book of Acts, starting with Peter's great sermon. In fact, you, you started in Luke 24, mm-hmm. um, Christ's words just before ascension. You then went to Peter's sermons uh, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, you continued at his sermon at the um, at the healing of the man that was uh, uh, that was crippled, the sermon that he gave in Solomon's portico. Uh, you then crossed over to Paul and explained that Paul didn't preach any different uh, to Peter. And you went through Paul's sermons and his testimonies um, as you worked your way through the book of Acts. Um, and it really came down to a, a distillation of what the gospel message is. I'd love us to start with the gospel. There might be listeners that are listening in that aren't clear on the gospel. Maybe mm. they're believers, but they, they, they're battling to articulate the gospel in a simple way. And they might be listening. Um, I have no doubt on a national radio station there will be listeners that are listening in that don't know the gospel at all. When I say the gospel, they're like, what is that? They don't even know what the mm. definition of the word might be. Maybe we can start with the gospel and we can work on from there. Yeah, sure. Let's start with that, Mark. That's a great idea. <clears throat> and let's maybe think about that passage, uh, Luke 24, that you mentioned. If we want to find out what the good news, that's what gospel means. What the good news, well, the good news is embodied in Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate, and <clears throat> then is going to be embodied in his teaching and as it is taught through us to us through the apostles in the scripture. Um, and so when Jesus uh, died and then rose again from the dead, he, he's meeting in Luke 24 with the disciples to commission them and and send them out and prepare them for the fact that he's going back to heaven. And he says this in Luke 24, he said, These words are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that these things which are written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's Luke 24, 44, and 45. The gospel starts with the authority of the written word of God, um, because it's there in the written scriptures that we know who God is, we know what he has done, we know his character, we know his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we know his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, and so on. And so so the gospel has to start, according to Jesus himself, with the authority of the written scriptures. Until our minds are open to understand the written word, um, then there is no salvation, right? So Jesus started with the scripture, and then he said to the apostles in verse 46 of Luke 24, he says, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And so as Jesus moves to the specifics of the gospel message, he says, you start with the written scripture, and that word of God tells us that Jesus, both prophetically in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in the gospels and in reflection and the epistles, that Jesus would and did suffer and die, and that he rose from the dead. And of course, the theology behind that is Jesus was sinless and died for our sins. He didn't have any sin. There's no reason for him to die. The wages of sin is death. Jesus deserved no wages because he was sinless, right? And so so Jesus died um, bearing the penalty of our sin, bearing the wrath of his Father at our sin, bearing the wages of death, both physical and indeed spiritual, um, the equivalent of eternity in hell. And so the gospel emerges from the written word of God and is about Jesus' death and then, of course, his resurrection. Jesus' death wouldn't be that exciting if he hadn't risen from the dead. Mm. Um, And so he dies for our sins. Resurrection proves that the Father accepted that payment price and that we can be given forgiveness and new life in Christ when we believe in him. Now, the next thing it says in verse 47 of Luke 24, well, Jesus says, he says, authority of the written scripture, my death 
death and resurrection. And then he talks about repentance for the forgiveness of sins and that that would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And so the gospel is about the authority of the scripture. It's about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's about repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance means to be going one direction, to turn around and walk the other direction. Um, to uh, a complete change, complete change of mind, complete change of life um, worked by God in our hearts. And that comes, repentance and forgiveness come as a package because repentance and is uh, God's gift, as indeed is the forgiveness of our sins, the, the blotting out of everything that we owed God um, because of our moral failures, because of our disobedience to him, because of our sinful nature. Right. And so now you mentioned the, the book of Acts then and how in that church camp, how it led us from Luke 24 to Acts chapter 1 and started to just walk through. And it's fascinating, and your, our listeners can do the study themselves. Look at the sermons in the book of Acts, and you'll find that those components are mentioned again and again and again. Mm. In, in Luke 48, it talks about uh, the disciples being witnesses and that the Holy Spirit would come upon them to empower them. If you take those factors, the authority of Scripture, the death and resurrection of Christ, the repentance and forgiveness of sins, and that the apostles are, are witnesses and empowered by the Spirit, if you track those five things, you will see them over and over and over in the book of Acts. I mean, the, the apostles got the memo. Yes. <laughs> they, they got yeah. the message. In fact, I've said to my church, it's like a train running on tracks. You get the clickety-clack, clickety-clack, clickety-clack of the wheels, and as Jesus died, Jesus rose for uh, uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You just get clickety-clack, clickety-clack over and over and over. So so I would challenge our, our, our listeners to maybe page through the book of Acts today after we're done here and just see that because uh, it's so compelling um, to see how uh, how they got Jesus's message. In fact, in Acts chapter one, Luke talks about Jesus giving orders to the apostles. I think it's yes. verse three of chapter one. These were men under orders and you and I as preachers, indeed all of us as Christians today, are under the orders of Jesus Christ delivered in Luke chapter 24. And that is to hold up the authority of scripture and preach Jesus' death and resurrection and repentance for the forgiveness of sins, to do that by the power of the Spirit. Hmm. Um, that's Jesus' orders in the simplest form. And, and, and it is a message which does not lack power. Um, I, I think of a, a sermon which I, I heard a few years ago, just the, 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 the gospel being the power of God unto salvation. Um, I can't remember if that was Tim Challies or, or Joel Beakey. I, I, it, was a, it was a really good sermon. I think it was Joel Beakey that, that preached. It might have been Conrad and Bewe. Uh, it's, it's starting to blur <laughs> that's now. That's a pretty diverse group. <laughs> that, that's a pretty <laughs> diverse group. But, 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 but it was one of, those, one of those men. It was a really good sermon. I yep. can remember. <clears throat> but the point that I'm trying to make is that that simple gospel message, that clickety-clack, that Christ died, that Christ rose, and that all men everywhere are called upon to repent for the forgiveness of sins, that is a powerful message which saved on the day of Pentecost 3,000 people who were added to their number and has been saving people ever since. I, I mean, I, I was talking to you, I, I think it was before before we started, it might have been after we started, you, you mentioned like 40 baptisms over a short period of time, um, over the pandemic period or, or mm -hmm. thereabouts. I mean, the bottom line is the gospel 
whilst it might sound simple and it might it might feel as if the world is hungering for something else that <laughs> they're hungering for you to talk on on all manner of topics in order to fulfill uh, whatever issues they have in their minds but the reality is the gospel actually is enough it's the gospel that saves it is the gospel that's powerful and it is powerful even in our day and age mm. Absolutely. I would call it the simplicity of divine genius, Mark, because only God could come up with a message so simple and so packed with truth of Jesus' death and resurrection for the, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and that be the solution for the human race. Only God is smart enough to do that. Yes. Um, and that is the saving gospel message, and what a privilege it is then to preach it. And our job then, Mark, is to make sure that we don't that we don't mess up the message. You know, God as is, is the chef. He's cooked the food. I, I, I don't want to drop the tray as the waiter on the way out to the table. Mm, uh, mm. I want to make sure that I deliver the, t- the, the, the tray of food to the table as the waiter exactly as God has prepared it. Uh, and that simplicity, uh, that power in the gospel is so wonderful. And it's distressing to my heart today to see so many churches and so many Christians who clearly lack confidence in the power of the gospel, and yet it's the thing that saved them. Why would they think it wouldn't save the next person? Why do we think we, uh, in our chronological snobbery, we imagine that we need a different message for 2022 than we needed in 2021 or in 1991 or go back as far as you want? This is the message that saved. God hasn't changed. Our sin hasn't changed. The problems haven't changed changed. Um, We've decorated them with technology, of course, but the underlying problems of man's character and rebellion against God have not changed. And God's holy character is the same. His grace is the same. The message still saves. And when we preach it with passion and enthusiasm and clarity and accuracy and by God's grace back that up with with godly lives, um, that message is compelling to an unbelieving world. They might not believe it, but they'll see the difference. And then those, of course, that God gives grace to will believe and are going to be gloriously saved. And uh, what a privilege to be a part of that. Just um, we, we have a couple of comments, one from uh, Rosa that says, Amen, and just Justina that says, Amen. Roland Eskenazi says, Thanks for the program and the content. Greetings to you both from uh, Belgium. Uh, Roland, it's always good to have you with yeah, us. Yeah, I know Roland. <laughs> Roland, uh, welcome aboard. So, good to, so th- good to know that you're on board in Belgium. I, I think Roland gets his uh, weekly dose of uh, South Africa uh, on a Friday. Uh, he is a long-time and very frequent commenter. Always a great encouragement. Just keep his ear tuned in, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, so you kind of shifted gears a little bit um, and we started to talk about about preaching. We, we were talking about the power of the gospel. We were talking about the need for preachers to preach this this simple but not simplistic gospel. Um, maybe just a couple of comments on expository preaching. This is something that you've that you've written on. It's a it's mm. one one of your manuals that that I've read through. I know Rocky Stevenson down in Benoni is busy working through it with a, with a couple of men in an expositors forum uh, at the moment. When it comes to expository preaching, uh, why do you preach um, in this way? Maybe a, a simple definition for expository preaching, and then why why do you choose to preach in this way? As I go 
online and look for Joel James sermons. I'm always finding passages of scripture, often entire psalms that you're preaching through. Um, why is it that this is the mechanism that you've chosen to dedicate the last 27 years of ministry to? Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. And let me just go ahead maybe and start with a, a, a simple definition of expository preaching. When, when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, he said to Timothy, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And so that's basically what preaching is. It's reading the Bible out, out loud, first of all. Um, it's a public reading of Scripture. But it's not reading the Bible out loud and then setting it aside so that I can talk for the next 45 minutes about some ideas that I have. Um, it's reading the Bible out loud, and then it's teaching and exhorting, challenging, compelling, encouraging people from that. And so expository preaching mm. is trying to take the Word of God and to deliver it exactly as God delivered it um, to my people. Now, I under- need to understand the historical context. I dig my roots deep in the historical context of the Old or the New Testament. And then I cross by means of a bridge, as it were, to our modern world, and I take those life-changing, transforming truths and explain them to my people. Um, But I'm convinced that the power is in the Scripture. The power is not in my American accent, God forbid, right? Uh, The power is not in my intellect or my ability with words or my ability to pour petrol over my head and light myself on fire and everybody gets all excited. Um, No, the, the power is in the Word of God. And so I want to keep the Word of God in front of God's people. Um, Jeremiah describes it this way. He says um, he compares God's written Word to the false prophecies of the false prophets of their days. And he says, says, one of those is straw and one of those is grain. Now, I grew up in a rural area, so I know enough to know that grain is what you put in the feed box. Straw is what you put on the stable floor. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And so... I want to feed people the grain of God's word, not the straw of my ideas or human ideas. And I want to do that not from, as I would describe it, not from the, uh, from my left hand while I hold the Bible in my right hand. I want to feed them from the hand that holds the Bible. And so, mm. so I want to actually use the verses right there. I want people to look down at their Bible. I want them to look up at me, look down at their Bible and say, there it is. Yes. I see it. I understand it. I'm compelled now to repent or uh, believe or be encouraged, uh, whatever the passage is about. So expository preaching, the reason I do it very simply is because I'm a man under authority. I'm under God's authority, and I'm a man under the authority of the written Word of God. Um, And so... So why would I preach anything else um, and not vaguely and and distantly attached to the Word of God? I want it to come right from verses that people can see and read in their Bibles as I'm preaching that. So, yeah. Joe, one of the objections that is often leveled against, spirit, uh, against spiritual preaching, against expository preaching, is that it is, it's boring. Now, I have never experienced that as I've listened to you preach. I haven't experienced that as I've listened to, to many of the, of the, of the people that I, I would enjoy listening to preaching. But, but it, but it's clear that, that there are folk out there that have been exposed to, let's say, 
poor expository preaching. How, how, how does a man who wants to preach better? So we've already got a number of um, folk that are that are listening in that are pastors this morning. How do folk that want to preach better um, uh, go about the process of improving their preaching? How do you how do you ensure that you're not a boring preacher? Because, because I mean that might be the cardinal sin of our age, being boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, how many how many hours do we have here? Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking two minutes until right. top of the hour. Okay, I'll, I'll do my best, yeah. I'll do my best. Well, I mean, obviously any kind of preaching, any style of preaching can be boring, um, but it's not about a style. This is the Word of God, and so we have to deliver it. Yes. And so, obviously, different men are gifted in different ways and, and uh, will be more enthusiastic, more compelling. So that's not the issue. You just do the best you can. But the Word of God is intrinsically exciting. Yes. The Word of God, when accurately explain, explained and compellingly applied, is intrinsically exciting. It warms a believer's heart. It's like a fire that burns in the heart. And so so we never need to be afraid of opening up the Bible and explaining it in a compelling fashion that people will be bored. Um, so there's tricks and gimmicks you can do to be a more interesting speaker, right? Uh, obviously, um, just being orderly is going to help rather than disorderly. Um, you know, don't reference every Greek word in the passage. Don't, you know, read, you know, long Latin quotes or, you know, whatever. <laughs> there's some pretty simple rules out there for not being boring, but to be organized, um, and give a clear explanation of the text and build that bridge across to the modern world and say, here's how it applied then, here's how it applies now. For believers, that's intrinsically exciting. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know that, uh, that a preacher... Uh, here's, let me say it this way. I'm convinced that people come to my church because they're already excited about the Bible. If they're a Christian, uh, have to do a dog and pony show. I don't have to do a lights and fireworks show. Um, I don't have to have the, you know, the, the best or bitterest coffee in town to get them uh, to come. I think Christians love the Word of God. And if I preach the Word with that same passion and love, then those who love the Word should come. And those who God wants to love the Word will be stimulated and motivated. To, to come. And so, so yeah, we should never be boring. Truth is exciting. Truth applied is life-changing. And when the truth of the Word of God is changing your marriage, is changing your attitudes, changing your words and your actions, changing your trust, the peace and stability of your life, that's exciting. There's nothing more exciting than that. I mean, I wanna, I'm not going to be able to repeat it word for word, but where you, where you landed actually is the answer. When the Word of God is changing your marriage, your attitudes, your words, your actions, your trust, your peace, every single aspect, aspect of your life you can be nothing but excited mm. when you hear a preacher standing and reading God's word explaining God's word and praying over his people applying God's word wow. to his people and yeah. um, because because God's word is active and it does it, it, it appeals to us it excites us it's it's gold it's it's drippings of honey mm. uh, there can be nothing um, better uh, I, I do I do think though that there are mechanisms that men can do uh, that preachers can do to apply themselves to both the art and the science uh, of preaching so 
some of them uh, would be hooking up with a good uh, college or a good seminary um, or a good um, uh, a, a good uh, course um, uh, on expository preaching. Uh, got any recommendations for that as we get to the top of the hour? I do. You know, well, just online on our church website, gracefellowship.co.za, um, the book that I did as part of my doctoral studies called Expository Studying um, <clears throat> is there, and it's designed to be a, a, a basic, simple, but pretty comprehensive um, introduction to how to do the study process that will lead to genuinely expository sermons, mm. and then some suggestions on how to actually preach and uh, preach different kinds of passages or genres in the scripture. And so so that would be a good resource for them to start uh, with uh, expository study. And of course, there's many great books on preaching, uh, um, uh, Rediscovering Expository Preaching by John MacArthur and a series of other guys, Power in the Pulpit. Uh, those are all great, um, great, uh, great books. Uh, we have a, a seminary here in Johannesburg called Shepherd Seminary. Some friends of mine and I, I teach that seminary, meets at Tim Cantrell. Church, uh, Antioch Bible Church in in Joburg, and uh, we exist to train men to love Jesus Christ and to preach the word. And so, uh, so you know, if somebody's interested, they could contact us, and we'd be glad to talk to them about doing further training with them because we want men to love Christ and to preach the word compellingly and powerfully. Thanks for that. Joel, a great first uh, hour of the show. I'm looking forward to the second hour, maybe just to key the listeners in. We're going to move to conversations on dating. I've got uh, girls that are entering into the 18, 19-year-old uh, age bracket. You've been very helpful in my family on that. I really do want us to chat about Psalms. I've really enjoyed your books on Psalms uh, and, and a couple of other conversations, including possibly one on anger. I am looking forward to engaging with listeners and questions in the second hour of the show. But in the meantime, We will be listening to In Your Presence by Kim Walker. And uh, when we come back, we will continue to speak to Joel James. Well, friends, you have been listening to Radio Pulpit, uh, 657 AM and Radio K Pulpit, 729 AM with me, Mark Penrith, your host for the last hour. I've been interviewing Joel James, who is the pastor at Grace Fellowship here in Pretoria. We've been talking on a range of topics from... Uh, life in South Africa um, to counseling to the gospel to expository preaching I'm hoping that the second hour of the show will be equally as eclectic I do want to give you the opportunity to engage with us even as we are talking live on air Uh, that is the opportunity that you have on Table Talk with Mark uh, to talk around Bible topics to ask Bible questions let me give you the telephone numbers so that you can either phone into the studio or leave a voice message or a message on WhatsApp or Telegram I'm guessing that you have your pen and your paper ready the telephone numbers are uh, for our studio line, 012-334-1322. Let me repeat that. 012-334-1322. Always enjoy getting your live um, uh, uh, conversations uh, as you phone in. If you'd like to rather leave a message or a voice note, the WhatsApp and tele- uh, Telegram numbers are 082 
0826572729. That's 0826572729. We are on Twitter, and if you we are on Twitter, <laughs> we are on Twitter, and if you are on Facebook now, would be a great time to drop a hi on Facebook so that we know who you are and maybe say where you are and which local church you attend. That's always good uh, information to have as well. You can do that on our Facebook page. It is Radio Pulpit. Radio Console and if you go to the live stream which is currently going at the moment and you drop a comment there I will see it live uh, in the studio right now I do want to read Tinker says what a privilege it is to be in God's presence through being overwhelmed by the message of the gospel just as it is thanks for that engagement Tinker and uh, I do also Dalwat says uh, um, has engaged as well uh, on the radio pulpit page Joel, uh, just before the break I mentioned I have kids Let me tell you a story um, I don't think I'm <laughs> One of the disadvantages of being a preacher's kid um, Is at some stage you become a sermon illustration um, uh, One of the advantages of having two daughters Is I don't have to out which daughter it was So there's some level of anonymity um, yeah. Built into our family dynamic one of my daughters came back home uh, from school one day and uh, clearly had a lot on her heart and at some stage burst out crying and uh, confessed to mom and dad that she had a boyfriend. Now, this was contrary to mom and dad's express um, statements of how we reckoned dating and courtship was going to was going to roll out in our family. So um, as a good father, I corrected things immediately then and there. I said, no correction, you don't have a boyfriend. You thought you had a boyfriend, but in reality, you have a father. Um, and you just need to explain this to the young man. Um, but my daughter, very wisely, you know, the wisdom of uh, of children that have been hanging around um, pastors' houses and have been reading their Bibles a lot. My daughter really wisely asked the question, Dad, based on what passage of Scripture um, uh, is your whole understanding of courtship? Now, I I was brought up uh, in the church in my 20s around the time that Joshua Harris had written, uh, I guess, Dating Goodbye. And I'd been influenced by that whole kind of courtship and uh, consideration. And uh, and I I acknowledged that and confessed that to my daughter and said, look, ultimately, I want to be biblical in relation to all of this. How about this? We just put a monitorium is that right we put a pause moratorium moratorium not a monitorium a moratorium we put a moratorium on on all this dating thing and we will find a book which is contemporary and a book which i believe is biblical and a book which um which i believe is an author that would have the same kind of biblical considerations as me we, we will work through that book on monday evenings it's my day off we'll take extra time um after supper we'll sit down and we'll work through a chapter by chapter one chapter a week so i'm buying myself lots of time lots of time to think lots of time for mom and i to engage and at the end of that we will have a much fixed view in terms of how our family will engage on the whole topic of courting dating marriage all of these things and um, both girls agreed and uh, and so the process began of first finding an author and finding a book which wasn't simple but uh, on recommendation i found a i can't even remember if it was a downloadable pdf uh, on your website it is yes so maybe let's just say for the listeners where the website is because i'm guessing that there's listeners with teenage daughters and mm. teenage sons 
sons that are listening in right now and I am giving a recommendation of this particular book um, it was probably called the title is The Companionship Principle. The Companionship and Principle. Excellent. Yeah. And, and it's and still available for free download on our on our church website, gracefellowship.co.za. And I would have to confess, it's the most popular book I've written. Oh, really? Yeah, there's no question. Okay. Yeah. And look, you've written quite a few books. I mean, you were kind of making a joke as we were heading back to, to the mics. Uh, uh, now it's difficult to know what to talk to you about because you've written um, quite comprehensively on a number of topics. But but. I have been very helped by that particular book. Um, we slowed down. Uh, it wasn't a long book. It's it's really a booklet. Uh, yeah. uh, it can't be more than, what, 57 pages? Something like that. So, something pages. like that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's written in a, an easy-to-read font, uh, nice spacing between lines. Uh, if I remember correctly, it might be six or seven chapters. Um, and, and really what it does is it, it works through from Genesis 2 um, uh, right through Scripture, giving a biblical theology um, towards this idea of companionship um, mm. and and really solved a couple of riddles in my home so maybe Joel just you know off the bat when it comes to when it comes to dating when it comes to companionship and when it comes to this companionship principle in particular um, where do we start? You had some really funny analogies in the book of your own personal experience of oh, dating. Sure. I didn't even tell you the worst stories yet. They're too embarrassing. But, so we won't go into that. <clears throat> but let's start with the scripture. And I think the the primary verse in all the scripture that sets us up to think about dating and then marriage is Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper that is suitable for him. I will make him a a helper, a companion um, that is suitable for him. And so, so that verse drives so much of our life. I mean, uh, that reality of the attraction between a man and a woman, I mean, it, it drives where you sit in the cafeteria when you're in, you know, in, in grade eight or whatever. I mean, it d- drives who you talk to, where you sit in church. I mean, uh, and even as adults, uh, you know, maleness and femaleness is under attack in our world today, but not in the Bible it isn't because it is just a basic reality to the human race and a good reality. And the fact is that <clears throat> that most people in God's design will be attracted to and will want and desire a unique, special relationship with a member of the opposite sex. And so, so we need to start with that principle, the idea of companionship. And so what I did is I was thinking about dating. I mean, I mean the background here is I came to a little church here in Pretoria, Grace Fellowship, um, 27 years ago, and it was mostly... Um, high school and varsity kids. You know, we had 30 people, and I was, at one point, I was age 27, and I was the second oldest man in the church, right? So, <laughs> so a book on dating. It wasn't was, exactly a multi-generational not, older men teaching no, the younger. You know, but a book on dating was going to be very important. I mean, the truth was, I got so tired of counseling the same thing over and over, I decided yes, maybe yes. I should preach on this and write it down, you know? Um, so I thought, where would I turn? Just like your daughter asked, I, I, I thought, Mark, where would I turn um, in the scripture to establish a theology of dating. We need a theology of everything. I mean, are we going to go to Abraham, who sent a servant, you know, a thousand kilometers away on a camel to get, you know, well, probably not, you know. Um, and so uh, so I look at it and say, what, what underlies the realities of maleness and femaleness and desire for marriage is that desire for companionship. 
And so I just took that and said, let's let that shape our dating, um, our, our approach to dating. Now, different cultures are going to handle things differently, and that's that's fine. Um, that, that's not the issue. That's not we're we're not driving one culture over another here. But but this idea of you know to 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 quote a, a music group from the the '60s, "Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name?" It sounds you know? like the Beatles. <laughs> it's the Doors, actually. <laughs> there was the Doors. Jim I can't Morrison believe I missed doors. that I, one. Yeah, I, I'm ashamed to. Admit that I know the name of that group, but um, so, but that's kind of the, that's the courtship idea. You know, you, you've never met, you've never talked, your eyes meet across the room and suddenly we decide we're going to get married and now we try to figure out a relationship. Yes. Um, I, I'm not a fan. Yes. Yeah. We don't have to do it that way, at least in the Western cultures. And so, so let's actually think about building up that companionship mm. relationship. And so if you take the physical temptations and the emotional bungee jumping out of dating and you turn it into a a, a sensible friendship relationship um, you know like you I when my daughter was in high school I didn't want her to have a boyfriend I didn't mind her having friends that were boys mm-hmm. uh, that's a different deal and at some point as she grew older I would expect that she would have a friend who was a boy who would become and rise up head and shoulders above all other options, friendships, and that's good. That's a normal and natural thing. And she is, uh, praise God, married to a wonderful young man today. Um, but that whole idea of companionship, say, okay, if we're going to approach it through that doorway, through the friendship doorway, then then the dating thing becomes much more sensible. You know, you know, don't you don't pursue a marriage kind of companionship until marriage is actually an option. Yes. There's just no reason for fourteen year olds to be dating in some kind of um, as the world would define that because marriage is not an option and the only thing they can do is get overly involved emotionally and then get in trouble sexually right yeah and so we just need to stay away from that but if you learn to have have sensible and valuable spiritually stable relationships friendships with members of the opposite sex as a 15 16 17 year old that's okay and then you're prepared one day when marriage might actually be an option Mm. to say, yeah, this person has risen up out of the crowd, and so uh, I think I'll pursue them. So that's the approach of the book. Uh, I say it's called The the Companionship Principle, and it's available on our website for free download, and and, uh, and I think it would be very helpful to our listeners. My, my, my kids did come to me a few months ago. They are 19 and 17 now, and uh, said, Dad, the time has come. You need to get your servants, get your camels, get a couple of uh, you know gold rings or whatever it takes in our culture. Go out and find us men. <laughs> That's right. She can find one who can lift the lift the stone off cover off the well. You know, all the all the all the marriages in the Bible seem to you know Moses and you know the, it all starts at the well. At the you know, well, with, yeah. with this guy who is able to lift the stone off the well for the girls. So I well, guess. Well, then I know. think my job is done. I, I dug a borehole in our front garden, You're and set. so yeah, my my my, my part is played. Uh, then I need to go and hang out at the borehole. Yeah, those young men, come. just make sure you're a working on your godliness and on your deadlifts because you got to be able to lift that big stone. Oh, no. to get, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, but it's about companionship. That's the first thing God says about marriage. Yes. Uh, it's male and female, and it's about companionship. It's about friendship, and and so. 
let's start there and let that dictate our our perspectives on dating. And maybe let me just tell the the listeners where we I'm planning on taking this after dating and uh, father's heart rates go up. I think it will be a great idea to talk about the Psalms and how uh, God can minister to us uh, through divine music. But even before we do that, Joel, uh, just talking about kids, uh, this is a, a little bit left field. Parents never stop being parents. Um, maybe just from your experience, um, what, what's it like parenting older children? What's it like parenting children that are now adults? Um, what changes? I, I haven't hit that yet. Uh, I'm looking forward to having kids that are out of the house and that are, you know, leaving their mother and father and being united in, in one flesh relationships mm. uh, with their spouses. Um, what changes in the relationship and, and how do you carry on parenting uh, even older children? Sure, I think the, you know, both our children, just for context, are are in their middle uh, middle twenties or just a bit more, and uh, are out of the house. They both happen to live in America. They cho- chose to go to go back there. Um, we gave them that option, and so I think the biggest change, Mark, it's like a it's like a seesaw. It's like a teeter totter at the park. Uh, when your kids are young, the uh, um, the authority is very high. Yes. Um, you know, your authority over a six-month-old is pretty much absolute, and that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Um, as they get older, the teeter-totter, the seesaw starts to balance out, and you start to bring more what you might call influence into the picture. You still have authority when they're 8 and 10 and 16 even. You have authority as long as you're paying for their life. You know, there, there's real authority there. Yes. Um, but it starts to transition towards influence. You want to shape their thinking so they're prepared when they go outside of their home. Uh, out of side of your home, not just to parrot your decisions and not just to seek your counsel, though they certainly should do that, um, but to be able and prepared to think things through and make their own biblical decisions. Mm. And so as they grow older, the authority diminishes and goes down, and the other end of the seesaw, teeter-totter, goes up, and and now we're talking about influence. And so that's where we're at with both of our children um, now. Um, they they don't call us for authority input. Uh, yes. uh, if we talk to them, it's influence input. And, you know, that's great because it's forcing them to have an adult relationship with God, um, and it's forcing us to trust God as parents rather than try to manipulate and micromanage our adult children. That's disrespectful to them. Um, and so we want to have input. Of course we do. Um, and uh, and God willing, we'll have opportunity to do that. But in the end, it moves towards influence. And so as your children grow up through the growing years, you're always keeping that in mind, um, authority that is transmuting into um, into influence. And that's a normal and, and uh, valuable part of God's plan. Joel, I'm, I'm laughing on the side because I just remembered another book of yours that I've read. <laughs> um, it might have come out of um, the counseling material, which I actually read alongside Liesl when she was doing the course. Um, but, but I remember um, a, a, a content around both parenting um, but content uh, around marriage uh, that you've written and particularly around conflict uh, in marriage um, and uh, j- j- just smiling as you're talking because I'm, I'm remembering other content of yours that I've, <laughs> that I've engaged with and appropriated over the years. And th- this conversation around kids is, is really important and this growing relationship of parents with children, how, how our relationship with our children does change over time and must change over time, just pastorally, um, you know, into contact with 
parents, uh, with children whose parents never gave up the authority, never moved from authority into influence, and just the real problems that that re- that creates with adult children down the track. Yeah, and of course that's especially challenging in the African context where that's woven into the culture probably more strongly than in most Western cultures. And so <clears throat> that's one of those places where you have to think about us, okay, we got culture and then we got scripture of uh, a man leaving his father and mother and being joined to his wife, a, a new family unit being formed. What's that going to look like in the African context? And so um, so that's certainly one of the one of the challenges that uh, an African believer would have and of to course, think ta- through. And of course, taking into <clears throat> consideration the tension between principles and precepts in God's word. Honor your mother and your father. Mm. That, that doesn't go away when you turn 30. Mm. I mean, the reality is we honor our mother and our father the whole way through our lives. Um, but, but the way that we honor them and the kind of authority and then later influence that they exert over us, uh, those things do change. And the, the tensions between these principles and these precepts need to be held and, and, and considered at all times. Sure, um, Joel. Uh, j- just on the on the issue of parenting, as we uh, uh, or not parenting on the issue of marriage, as we start to head toward. Um, uh, psalms <laughs> as we keep psalms because I, I really want to get to psalms because they're in the distance c- c- somewhere because <laughs> in actual fact that y- y- you've really impacted my reading of the psalms uh, uh, I read your you, you've written I think what five volumes of three three volumes uh, on psalms I, I, I read the first I consumed the first because I had been listening to a couple of guys preaching through the psalms and I was quite Unsatis- dissatisfied. I was mm. unsatisfied. They'd left me unsatisfied. Yeah. Um, a very allegorical uh, approach. Um, well, let's go to the Psalms now. A um, very allegorical kind of approach to the Psalms. Um, Psalms were often spiritualized um, to be primarily about Christ, when in actual fact I thought there was very tangible um, uh, exhortation and uh, and life that we were supposed to be taking out of it for ourselves. Um, you wrote an incredibly um, practical um, uh, approach to to Psalms, right from Psalm 1. I think your, your first book, if I remember correctly, uh, you took shorter Psalms and you took Psalms in the in the first kind of like compendium uh, of the of the Psalter. Um, may, maybe just describe what, what is your approach from a hermeneutic perspective? You know, as you approach Psalms, how do you go about approaching them? Obviously, they are their own genre of uh, mm-hmm. uh, of, mm-hmm. of literature. Um, but how do you go about approaching them? How do you go about finding um, Jesus in the Psalms when you are preaching the Psalms um, uh, how do you go about interpreting Psalms uh, often Psalms um, are shrouded in a bit of mystery in terms of the context of their first writing mm-hmm. um, how, how do you go about approaching the Psalms uh, what's the va- I mean I'm like piling the questions on you <laughs> which but, one do you want but, me to answer but what's, what's the value of reading the Psalms for, yeah. for those that are listening let's, in right now let's start there I mean yeah. the, the books are called favorite Psalms and they're really my favorite Psalm sermons uh, most of which are from my favorite psalms and so so uh um so they're not available on the website they're available at our our church uh, but anyway um the value of reading the psalms is that we're 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 introduced to God and the psalmist's love for God and through very real situations, through the the difficulties, the pains, and the struggles of David, um, through the sins of Asaph. Um, I mean, we're just 
brought into their real-life situations. As you said, sometimes it's vague and intentionally so, so that it would apply to every era. Um, but we're, we're just elevated above ourselves to think about God in profound ways. Uh, these, are, these are poems. They were songs. We don't have the music today. Um, but they're they're poems, so they're poetry, and that means some things are going to be challenging to interpret it. But the the nice thing about Hebrew poetry is it has that double line kind of uh, thing where it'll say something in one line and then in the next line say it slightly different and it allows you to interpret. And so, so the power of the Psalms is that they're just so intensely worshipful. Um, they're the hymn book of ancient Israel, and so so the exalted theological thoughts of God that that um, that are woven through. The the Pentateuch and the prophets, but a little harder to find, are just compacted into those great poems there. And then many of them also are, are life-changing in their practical applications. So, so they deal with implications, great thoughts of God that affect all of life, and then specific applications to to worry, fear, enemies, and you know anything else, right? So, so that means the Psalms are immensely powerful. Now, as far as interpreting them, um, we need to remember is the Psalms are a song, and they are inten- intended by the author, uh, both human and Holy Spirit, uh, by the divine and human author. They're intended to be interpreted as a whole. We're not to read just, we'll pick one little verse out of the psalm. Now, we have verses underlined because they're more compelling to us. That's fine. But when we're reading the psalm, we should read the whole thing because there's a flow of logic, or I call it the theologic of a psalm, because it's focused on God. It's not just logic, it's theologic. Um, and so when I find the flow of that, the message becomes so much more compelling. It's not a basket of fragments. It's now actually a whole uh, and a unit, and that's very, very powerful. And so we find that 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 overarching theological idea, that thread that runs through the whole thing, um, and it's inevitably going to be tied up with God in some fashion. And then we take that and 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 the great thing, and what I've enjoyed writing into the books, and hopefully others have benefited from, is taking the specifics of the literary style, the figures of speech, and and the the historical background that the psalmists are weaving into that. These are real men who really went through these life situations and really loved God through it, and so they're writing, uh, you know, specific word pictures and so on, and to try to to unveil those, to try to bring those to light. To, to to lay them out in their fullness and their uh, their power, you know, um, that's very exciting to me as a preacher. Very exciting to me as a writer. Um, whether I've succeeded in doing that or not, I've certainly tried. And and uh, um, and but anyone can do that as they read the Psalms carefully with attention. Now, now one of your other questions was how do we find Christ in the Psalms? And well, some Psalms are clearly messianic, and so you know Psalm two, for example. Um, and so you don't have to look very hard to mm. find. I was reading know, Psalm twenty. One uh, yesterday or the day before. It's a bit of a blur, um, but it it talks about this king, um, and you, as you start reading it, you're thinking, okay, maybe David. But then the language gets very big. It's like this king will be forever and ever. And he comes back and his foes are burnt before him like an oven. And mm. it, 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 it becomes quite messianic. Um, I, I, now, I haven't had time to go and take a look at a commentary and see what others have said about the psalm. But, but it seemed fairly clear that, uh, that Christ had a stamp 
um, mm-hmm. well, either a shadow or, or an intended end mm-hmm. uh, in that psalm. So sometimes, sometimes it's kind of obvious. Psalm yeah. 2 would be a great it's example. Yeah. Obvious. yeah, so those are, those are relatively easy. Here's what I would suggest, and this is for the entire Old Testament, not just the psalms. We connect to our Lord Jesus Christ from the Old Testament, from the overall theological message of the psalm or a passage in Deuteronomy or whatever it is. I mean, we, we don't need to go to the tabernacle and and find Jesus in every bowl, pole, and brass nail in the tabernacle. That's yes. just not helpful. That's make-believe. That's allegory. Um, you know, that, that's just made up. Um, but the tabernacle is about God's presence with his people and that God is the holy God and he's dangerous to his people, so he has to be veiled off from them. Um, And the wonderful thing is in John chapter 1, it says that the word became flesh and the word John uses there is very specifically, he says, and tabernacled, tented among us. And so Jesus comes because he is now the personification of God's glory, the glory that moved into the tabernacle, the glory that moved into the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 at the completion of the temple, the glory that left the temple in Ezekiel 8 through 11, that glory has now come back, but has come back in an even better fashion, and that is the incarnation of God the Son, and Mm -hmm. he tabernacled among us. Mm -hmm. And so you can connect to Jesus Christ from the overall theme and the idea of the tabernacle is a representation of God's presence with his people. Jesus is God present with his people in even a greater way. I mean, his very name, Emmanuel, God with us, in fact, means that, right? So always connect to the old, from the Old Testament to Christ, but do it from the overall theological lesson of the passage, the psalm, or whatever it is, and then you're on safe, solid ground, not skating on the thin or non-existent ice of allegory. I, I really like that very practical hermeneutical wisdom. Uh, thanks for that, Joel. Uh, two things. One is for uh, technicians uh, sitting in the booth. Uh, hi, Penny, here again. I can't find your live stream on Facebook now. Since the break, I just wanted to say that our late beloved uh, Peggy Howell, uh, who was uh, out, an outstanding Bible study leader, used to call the Psalms God's love letters to us. Um, there, there's a question that's come in from Teresa, a long-time listener um, uh, and, uh, and friend. Uh, Teresa says, may the guest also share his thoughts on imprecatory prayers uh, found in the Psalms as well, pointing out what or how they can be applied to us today. Joel, I I've read quite a lot that you've written. I've also listened to quite a few of your sermons. Uh, I mentioned Ecclesiastes earlier. Um, I've listened to your sermons uh, on on Psalms as I've been reading through your book on Psalms. One of, the, I mean, the Psalm that actually sticks out out of all of the Psalms that I've listened to you preach, Psalm ten, <laughs> mm. just is the first one that comes to mind. Um, Psalm ten is is about you know um the 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 author calling out to god and saying hey would you come down and break some bones i mean mm. there's some jarring language in the psalms um some 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 jarring calls to action from god's people to god in terms of judgment justice wrath fury um and righteous anger being displayed against those who stand against God. Um, thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. I, I know you have. In regard to Psalm 10, I mean, that's easy because uh, David is there dealing with the 
um, with the criminal element in Israel. I mean, these people are hiding in the village, he says, and jumping out, you know, of a dark doorway, attacking and killing people. And and God, or David as king, is looking and says, I'm doing my best to deal with the criminal, criminal element in Israel, as any good government should. I'm doing my best to do that, but God, my arm is not long enough. I can't reach out far enough to get all these guys. God, would you please judge them? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, David would be delighted if they repented and came to believe in the Old Testament context in Yahweh of Israel. But it's not wrong to also... Um, to also call God to implement his judgment. Uh, uh, For example, in Psalm 101, um, uh, David, writing as the king of Israel, he says, My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, this is Psalm 101, verse 6, shall be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. David's going to assemble his cabinet, you know, that's going to help him lead the nation of Israel, his nobles. He says, this is what he wants them to be like. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell in my house. If you're Mm. a leader, you don't want to be surrounded by liars. Mm. Um, He who practices, sorry, who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. And then David says, every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of Yahweh all those who do iniquity. David is the king of Israel, and he wants to get rid of the criminals, which is one of the primary jobs of good government, Romans 13 and so on. So when we think about the imprecatory psalms, we need to look at it and realize that there is evil and evil is real. And it's not wrong for God's people to want God to judge that evil. Now, there's an equal reality that we want God to bring to salvation and to repentance, those who are doing evil and criminal acts. And we know from the scripture that not all will believe. Um, But it's not wrong for us then to plead for the grace of salvation on one hand and the grace of justice on the other so that those who are experiencing injustice can be relieved of that. And think of it this way. Have you ever, Mark, prayed for the return of Jesus Christ? Like. Longed for it? Like almost every Sunday, every time I do communion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right right before you preach, you're (laughs) praying that Jesus would come Even right now, I'm (laughs) saying Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Absolutely. And I'm exactly the same way. But remember, when you pray for Jesus to come back, you're not only praying for grace for you, you're praying for justice on an unbelieving world. Yes. Because Revelation 19 tells us what it's going to look like. Yep. Jesus comes back. Yep. Right? Uh, and so that's a very Christian prayer. But we shouldn't act like it's only one or only the other. So so the imprecatory Psalms are a plea, plea from God's people, righteous people whose hearts are tormented by the unrighteousness, the injustice, the violence and pain of the wicked, praying that God would bring that to an end. And yes, if by salvation, wonderful, or if by judgment, then by judgment. Here's a question for self-reflection that that spills out of the question. Great question, by the way, Teresa. Mm, Thanks thanks very much. Uh, uh, Yeah, really enjoyed that you weighed in on the conversation. We have have many... um, uh, streams uh, within the Christian tradition uh, and I, right now I'm just thinking of um, some of our more covenantal and creedal brothers, brothers that would hold to um, to creed some of which would have liturgy within the context of their church um, and their church services and some of that liturgy would include some of these hard realities like praying imprecatory um, uh, uh, prayers um, I, I think I've been, I've been quite 
influenced over the last two years by MatthewHenry.org, which actually isn't his commentaries. It's a smaller book that he wrote just on praying. He he mm-hmm. collected um, snippets of <laughs> of, uh, of 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 scripture on specific topics, and then works through prayers of adoration, confession, um, uh, petition. When he gets to him, petition, there, there are imprecatory prayers within the context of the framework that he's building. Um, is it possible that that some church traditions, which lack either liturgy or creed or or or, or mechanisms for these for for these um, uh, kind of uh, strands from the past, um, haven't included within the within the informal liturgies of their church services space for this kind of praying or space for 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 weighty prayers? Uh, maybe I, I I don't even know if that makes sense, uh, sure, Joel. No, I think uh, it it's does. kind of off the bat. Uh, no, you. <laughs> You're right. Sorry to swing at you. You're right. I would argue that it's not really connected to the literature, liturgy or things like that uh, that might be contained in it. But really, it's just a, a, a either an ignorance of or a squeamishness with the directness and forthrightness of the Bible in regard to God's justice and God's judgment on yes. unbelievers. Yes. And I mean, I mean, think of it this way. If you have an unbelieving criminal in front of you, right, a man you know is a violent criminal or whatever, you would preach Christ to him, um, yes. right? And so you might interact with him one way when you're looking him in the eye. When I'm talking about him from my pulpit, yeah, um, and not him personally, but about that category, um, then I think it's perfectly appropriate to pray what the Bible prays. Uh, like I said, to pray for Jesus to come back is to pray for God to judge the wicked in the most overwhelming and crushing of fashions. Uh, you know, Jesus calls the Pharisee children, Pharisees children of snakes. Uh, that's not a compliment in anybody's you know language. Um, that's not uh, a tech, uh, contextual, historical no. kind of uh, anything that you can explain away. The bottom line is yeah. he was very, very harsh. I'm also thinking of Acts 13 where, where Paul... Uh, is uh, confronted with Elymas, the magician, who's trying to interfere with some evangelism that Paul is doing. And Paul says to him, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And then he strikes him blind. Um, you know, there are times when we have to speak with that kind of directness. Uh, we have to do it when God would do it. Uh, we have to do it when the Bible would do it, right? And so that's not personal revenge or anything like that. Um, but that's a re- we should be repulsed by evil, mm-hmm. and our hearts should call out for the just God to punish evil. I, I use this illustration um, in one of the chapters in the third Psalms book. Um, I use this illustration. Imagine if you were uh, an Allied soldier in World War II, and you liberated one of the Nazi death camps, Jeez. like you know Ravensbrück or something like that. Um, imagine walking into that death camp and seeing the the the, the living dead who are just on the verge of death, and then the piles of dead bodies and everything, the the filth and the horror of that. And I, I think any Christian would have. Well, two responses. You would want to pray for the salvation of the victims and of those who had imposed inhuman, to say the least, uh, conditions and uh, criminal acts on these people. 
And I think your heart would also cry out, cry out God, please judge the wicked. Mm. I mean, how could you be faced with that and not make a plea to God mm. to judge that? Um, so, so sometimes we just don't think about the reality of how bad the world can get. I think imprecatory psalms are making more sense to us in the last few years yes. uh, as we see our world spiraling down into, into every imaginable and a lot of unimaginable sins as Romans 1 becomes the... You know, it becomes a daily shouting reality, and I don't mean just the homosexual aspect of that, but the punishment of God that that the, that our, our world is no longer even able to make sensible, rational decisions of any kind, let alone moral decisions, uh, any kind of decisions. Um, the 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 depraved mind is just turned over by God, and it just makes further and further sinful and destructive decisions. And so, as I see that as a believer, I'm I'm I understand now more the prayers of David. That, I mean, we're running out of we're running out of time, Joel. Yes, and there's man. so much more that I wanted to chat about. I, I, I want to give a recommendation that my wife will give because I haven't read this book. But taste and see that the Lord is good, if I understand it correctly, was about the attributes of God. Um, she used it for a ladies' Bible study. They worked uh, chapter by chapter through it, going through the attributes of God. She said it was excellent. Uh, really commends that book. Um, I wanted us to maybe just talk about another book that you've written in in terms of the identification of false teachers um now it's not the it's not the um uh, the title which i remember which is identifying false teachers i remember something about wolves well the the one you're thinking of the wolves and weeds is a catchy wolves title for weeds. three three booklets that we've packaged up in one okay. uh, about testing today's prophecies false prophecy uh, identifying false teachers and then question and answers on uh, on tongues healing uh, sign gifts and that sort of thing and so we package that up in one book uh, called wolves and weeds um, and uh, and so that might be helpful to our listeners just going through what Jesus taught about false teachers what the New Testament and Old Testament teaches about false teachers about prophecy and so on so that the church can be protected against um, those false things that are happening today. Why is it so important that we be equipped to be able to first recognize false teachers and then also counteract false teaching uh, in our lives today, Joel? Uh, let me use an illustration. Um, let's say you were into collecting mushrooms, right? If you have no information about mushrooms, you're going to die really fast because you're going to eat a poisonous one. You need some information, <laughs> you know, that keeps you from eating the, the poisonous mushrooms and from so that you can find the edible ones. Well, it's no different when you walk over into the spiritual realm um, because because error is poisonous. Theology is important because you live what you believe. And if you eat the wrong theology, the wrong stuff, false teaching, you will be poisoned. Um, and so it's vital that we be able to, to understand uh, what is true and what is false, to interpret the Bible correctly, to know that there, Jesus warned us, there are false teachers out there. Matthew chapter 7, he says, Be war, beware of the, the false teachers, the false prophets. And it's interesting, that comes right after the wide gate, narrow gate passage, um, you know, and Jesus actually, yes. my, the way I ex interpret that is that the false teachers he rebukes in the next set of verses are the traffic cops waving you past the narrow gate, waving 
leaving you to get on the broad gate to destruction. And so we have to be able to identify the characteristics of false traffic cops. Uh, we have to be able to identify their false teachings, their false character, and so on. Um, because otherwise, they put us on the broad way to destruction. They'll get us eating you know, poisonous plants. Um, sheep need shepherds that keep them out of the poison patches, right? Uh, we need, we need uh, to identify false teachers. Well, fuck, as you've been listening in this morning, I, I do want to point out that we, we've spoken about a number of books, and that's because, Joel, you've written so much good material, um, both in booklet form as well as in book form. How can you how can you um, lay your hands on some of the material that we've been speaking about t- today? So Chantal, for example, says, good morning. Please can I have the name of the book regarding dating? The, the short answer, Chantal, is that's the companion principle, the companionship principle. But this material is available on gracefellowship.co.za, gracefellowship.co.za. If you go there and you, uh, through the menu, go to resources, you'll see under resources there are books and there are books. Booklets. Uh, you can order um, books that are for purchase uh, off the website, and you can download a lot of the material that we've spoken about today. Is downloadable for free um, because that's how I've accessed it. I've accessed it over the years, um, and I can tell you that um, uh, everything that we've spoken about the, uh, today comes with the, with my recommendation. And uh, if it came with Liesel's recommendation, that's the same thing. <laughs> um, and so, lots of good content available on that site. Yeah, there's you know most of what we've talked about as you've said is is available for free download on our church website gracefellowship.co.za um, the Psalms books are not on there. They're a little too long for that setting. Um, but you can on that website just contact my secretary at the you know email address, contact us, um, and she'll be glad to talk to you about you know getting you those uh, those other books, the one on the attributes of God and the Psalms and so on. That's um, one of our ministries as Grace Fellowship to to South Africa and other African countries. We we love to make good resources, good written resources available um, as much as we can, and we pray that. A blessing to the body of Christ. Um, Morally asks, uh, well, first says, thank you so much for the insightful discussion this morning, and then asks the question, where can I go and join a Bible study or a Bible school to get deeper into God's Word? I'm hungry not just to sit and receive on a Sunday, but to study the Bible under the leadership of a good teacher or pastor to lead me and learn more uh, Scripture and gain better understanding. Where can I go? I'm willing to go night, uh, uh, at night or after work. Um, please help. Uh, thank you and God bless. Um, blessings, um, Marley. Now, it might be helpful Molly, if we knew uh, where you stayed, because where you stay in South Africa might affect the answer. I'm going to give Joel the opportunity, though, to talk about um, uh, both Grace School of Ministry as well as Shepherd Seminary, um, and maybe just do a short pitch for those two. Sure. Marley, if you or anyone else stays in the Pretoria-Johannesburg area, um, you can easily uh, attend our Grace School of Ministry. Uh, We'll be starting a new class, uh, biblical counseling class. In, in January on Wednesday nights from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. And so um, that's available to open to anyone who wants to come. And as Mark said earlier, we cover in that class not just kind of counseling stuff, but uh, it has a theology section. It has a marriage section. It, we talk about why we do biblical counseling and not psychological counseling. Um, we deal with all kinds of topics, everything from pornography and worry and anger to depression, decision making and um, and supposedly having low self-esteem. Uh, we cover all those things in that class. It's a one-year class. Um, Grace School of Ministry meets at my church. Um, again, you can get information
information on the website or contact my secretary. She would be glad to to um, to give you some more information on that. And then um, for men who want to be trained for ministry specifically, um, we have a Shepherd's Seminary uh, meets at Antioch Bible Church in Johannesburg. Myself and a number of my friends, Tim Cantrell, Matt Phil Yoon, who's been one of the presenters on the station here, David DeBrain as well, who I believe is also a presenter on this station. Uh, um, we have put together a seminary that is a reflection of what we were taught at the Master's Seminary or David at another place. Um, and uh, because we want to give that same kind of content that we've benefited from, we want to give that to men here in South Africa. So that's a full seminary program uh, available to the men who want to actually become pastors. Um, so that's two different levels. If uh, Marley's talking more about the, the Bible. Bible school level, which is an excellent thing. And and uh, if she, Marley, if you live in Johannesburg, uh, my friends at Antioch Bible Church are actually teaching the same class, the same material, um, also at their church regularly. I'm not sure when they start the next class, um, but you could contact them, and uh, they would help you out because uh, we want to be a blessing to, to the body of Christ by giving life-changing truth from the Scripture. Joel, it's been two hours, which is crazy because I've got so much stuff that I wanted to chat to you about. I wanted to talk about biblical decision making. I wanted to talk about uh, a number of uh, some of the practical things that you've written. I I think we're going to have to get you um, back uh, sometime soon. It will be really cool to continue this conversation. I have no doubt that uh, listeners have benefited. I I was wondering, as we close out the show, just a few minutes remain. Um, 27 years in South Africa, you've uh, you've given your life to seeing the gospel cause promoted um, on these shores. Um, if you had, if, if you were uh, had an opportunity for two minutes, three minutes, uh, right now, to say a message of primary importance to those that are listening in, uh, what what might it sound like? Sure. Well, I'm going to bring it back to where Jesus started in Luke 24, where we started this show with. Uh, where Jesus said uh, the gospel is going to start with the authority of Scripture. It it all comes back to the Word of God because it is there in the written Word that we find uh, the living Word, Jesus Christ. It is there in the written Word that we find the instruction of our Creator and our Redeemer and Savior God. Um, It's there in the living Word and the written Word that we find His commands of uh, what to believe and how to live. As I said earlier, um, I heard John MacArthur say many times when I was in seminary, uh, uh, theology is important because you live what you believe. Mm. And if you believe w- wrong things, you live badly. Well, where we learn to believe the right things is with the Scripture and a sensible interpretation of it. Um, and so everything's going to drive back to that. Um, the The church is dependent and built upon the Word. The gospel flows out of the written Word. Our knowledge of Christ comes from the written Word. Um, and so that would be, that's my heartbeat and uh, always has been. And will, if I live here another 27 or 57 years, um, it doesn't matter. That will always be my passion and my heartbeat, a love for Jesus Christ through his scripture, um, because that's where we meet God. That's where we meet him authoritatively, sufficiently, infallibly, inerrantly. Um, This is God's truth, the creator of the universe, the one who made us. This is his truth to us. We need to love him and love this book. Uh, and so, so that would be my my passionate charge to the believers here in South Africa, or, or even if you're not a believer yet, say turn turn to the, to, to the Scripture because there you will meet God. 
Ah, Joel, thank you so much for the conversation. I, I really, really do appreciate it. Listeners, each week our prayers do go out for all the elders as well as the deacons who hold the line in local churches, as well as for missionaries who serve on foreign fields. Our prayers for each week and respect goes out to first responders, to our police force, our defense force, and to those who dispense justice in our country, our firefighters, our paramedics, our nation's nurses and medical personnel, as well as for correctional facility officers all over our country. You have been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. We're going to be going to news shortly. And so until next week, Friday, do walk wisely, do live holy, and do testify zealously. God bless.